This is Dr. C, and I'm stoked to welcome you to an episode of Christory the Podcast. When history is told by Christine, the good old days, and even the not-so-good old days, will make you nod your head. I'm glad you made it to the party. Let's do this. Wishing you welcome again to Christory, where history rules and it's always an adventure. At least the history that we explore here, because we leave the boring stuff in the beaten track to someone else. This is Dr. Christine Contrada, and in today's episode of Christory, we're mixing it up and riving the wave of the big coronation. We do like to keep things fresh around here. Now, King Charles, formerly known as Prince, has waited to be king for 74 years. And since his mother took the throne when he was only three years old, he's been heir apparent for a whopping 71 years. Charles is the oldest king to ever accede to the British throne. Now, basic psychology would seem to suggest that if you wait for anything that long, it's bound to be a disappointment. But maybe kingship, without the heavy burden of actually ruling anything, is the exception to that rule. Truth be told, only Charles can answer that question. Despite the dynamics of kings as mere figureheads in our modern world, historians know kings better than anyone. And based on knowing more of the dirty laundry of the royals who actually wielded great power than a laundress in Windsor, I've got a top eight list of timeless advice to give to the new king. Now, this historian is going to attempt to be like Switzerland facing a world war and claim neutrality in the polarizing royalist-anti-royalist debate. Truth be told, I wouldn't touch the mess that is the Sussexes with a 10-foot pole. Meghan Markle as Yoko Ono 2.0 for breaking up the new incarnation of the Fab Four is a story for another day. Rather, as always, I come to you as a historian, and I'm full of unsolicited advice for the new king, His Highness Charles III, so let's roll. I would like to preface this list by noting the good old-fashioned pomp and circumstance of a royal coronation certainly lost its air and mystery, and even the possibility of good old-fashioned intrigue and high definition. Now, Charles's mother's coronation was the first to be broadcast on TV, but the impact of social media has completely changed the nature of our interaction with Charles's big day. Now us peasants are tweeting and posting stories on Instagram, like our never-printed invitations got lost in the mail. Charles's every move was under an electron microscope, and I can't help but think about someone like the far more brazen Napoleon, who's one of my favorites by far, who took the crown during his own coronation and put it on his own head. Now, he would be much more worthy of going viral by sheer value of the entertainment level. Now, perhaps Charles should have gone full Monty Python sketch on us rather than attempting the usual stoic dignity, which really doesn't translate too well to social media. It's so easy to sit on our little screens being armchair critics. Oh, he isn't smiling. But if he was, wouldn't you think that he wasn't taking it seriously enough? Oh, it's longer than a Catholic mass. But I can't believe it's not even as long as a bat mitzvah. Did Camilla really pick those shoes? And why does she look so ridiculously nervous? Is that Harry there in the third row, relegated to sit at the kiddie table with his cousins? 
And yes, Kate always manages to look great. Now, in an increasingly stressful age, it would be nice to see Charles succeed. The best advice for him, I think, is to point out former kings and queens behaving badly. Certainly after 71 years, he knows what to do. But does he know what not to do? So these are eight things that I'd strongly advise against if you don't want people throwing stale Garibaldi biscuits at you, or even worse. So number one, there was once an English king who decided that he was also a French king. Warning, turn back. Edward III claiming the French crown in 1337 led to the Hundred Years' War. It was actually 114 years of episodic fighting between France and England. His lack of subtlety, like adding the fleur-de-lis to his coat of arms like he already controlled France, tells you where Edward's head was at. The Hundred Years' War was horribly destructive and ridiculously disruptive, and this doesn't even begin to cover it, because toss in the bubonic plague. The English Channel was like a chain-link fence between two neighbors who hated each other's guts through five generations of kings. So don't do it, Charles. It It does look like there's a clear male line in the future of your lineage, William to George at least, so you don't have a secession problem brewing hotter than a vat full of oil to fry french fries. You and the French are all one degree from Vikings anyway, so can't we just all get along? And number two, who can forget Henry VIII, who reigned like a pompous ass from 1509 to 1547? And no, this is not advice about your wife. As you already know far too well, divorce is really messy business. No, this is more about your diet. And no, I'm not going to be sensationalist and fixate on your sausage fingers, which seem to have triggered the internet. But if you want to live long enough to rule, a good diet has to be in order. And I know that you've said that you avoid dairy and meat a few times a week. And even though England dropped the EU like a hot potato, and I use that idiom because it's one of the few things that you guys actually can grow a lot of, maybe this is an excuse to discuss the state of produce in England, both how expensive it is, how crappy the quality is, and how you can't even find the stuff on shelves. Your dependence on the continent for fruit and vegetables means that you've got a problem. So start cutting the ribbons off new greenhouses, but whatever you decide to do, don't act like Henry VIII at dinner. At his dinner table in Hampton Court, those dinners started at noon, and they lasted for three hours, during which the courtiers always consumed at least according to historical record, in excess of 5,000 calories. Henry's insatiable appetite for trough-sized portions of pastries, meats, wines in great excess got him to more than 400 pounds. The health problems he suffered are worthy of a reality show. Maybe my 30-stone life? Henry was athletic until middle age when he grew to a 52-inch waist, So remember, eating mountains of marzipan with all that sugar is a one-way ticket to needing an armored tank-sized suit of armor. And number three, poor King John. The Middle Ages was not kind to John. He had serious problems due to a beef with Pope Innocent III. 
who was the sharpest battle axe of a pope in history, in my humble opinion. Read, I would not miss with Pope Innocent III. John was also at war with his own barons, who got really tired of paying his bills. So cornered, King John was forced to sign the Magna Carta in 1215. So Charles, don't push back against your aristocracy, or they will pin you to a wall. Now it's 2023, and you don't really have any power to speak of, in part because of the legacy of John's signature. You can build your ability to influence Parliament, and this would be through building respect. Your mother had no real power over prime ministers from Churchill to an unfortunate Liz, who seems to have been all but forgotten already. But your mom's opinions were strong, and over time they came across as wisdom to be heeded. Now, even at your age, you'll be on the throne longer than a prime minister, and they inherently will seek advice from you. Particularly, get their ear when they're in their deer-in-the-headlights phase, and they're new to the job. So come on strong while the moving truck is still unloading at Downing Street. Number four, Elizabeth I, not your mom. This is the one who invited Shakespeare to DJ in court and sent Sir Francis Drake and his crew to go toe-to-toe against Spanish ships in the Atlantic. You're too old for Elizabeth I's 45-year reign, But if it's a renaissance you seek, this tutor is a great model. Also, if you want to do some housekeeping in the sense of godfather-esque removal of your enemies, best do it now like Elizabeth, without dramatics, not a horse head in the Sussex's bed style. Elizabeth did take it too far in her own eyes in hindsight. And in the eyes of her historical legacy, by lopping the head off of her own Catholic cousin, Mary Queen of Scots. Remember, history won't be kind to you if you go too far. Number five, take it from George III, who came to power in 1760. Don't go toe-to-toe with your colonies. Now, yours might be a mere 14 overseas territories, But if you make waves many years from now, they'll be mocking you on Broadway in a Hamilton reboot and saying worse things to mock you than, quote unquote, you'll cry in your tea. And if you find Buckingham Palace to be a fishbowl, you can thank King Farmer George for that. He bought that as a comfortable family home for his wife, Charlotte, in 1761. That was when he wasn't pissing off the colonists. Number six, don't be like Charles I, who was executed in 1649. The unfortunate Charles I, who lost his head. This is an anomaly in England. The French relish lopping the heads off of their kings. But in this case, it was more of an, oh shoot, okay, we're doing this, because we've got a problem with a king who we now claim is committing treason because he went toe-to-toe with Parliament, and then he lost. His brand of divine right of kings didn't work in the 17th century, and it certainly is not going to work in the 21st. Number seven. And while I'm at it, don't be like Charles II either. Sure, he was witty, and he was smart, and he was pretty likable. But history remembers that he had more interest in the ladies than a pimp, 
Exile in France made the man a bit hedonistic for the British palate. He was, however, much luckier than his father. He was not as hard-headed, so he didn't lose his head when Parliament made it clear that he better be Protestant. It seems like he wasn't as merry as historians used to think, but you probably should remember to crack a smile more often. And you don't have to worry, Charles II. And you don't have the same worries that he did. He had no legitimate surviving heirs. Who wouldn't eat, drink, and be merry if they knew they were at the end of the line? And number eight, and to save the best for last, let's think about your legacy and your potential monumentation. And in honor of Eurovision taking over Liverpool, which I believe influenced the date of your coronation, Liverpool's monumental bronze Queen Victoria, who came to the throne in 1837 and ruled for a whopping 63 years, this monument was placed in 1906 on the site of a former castle in Derby Square. And it seems to take the piss, quote-unquote, which means in British slang to mock something, but literally. This Victoria is taking a piss. Victoria appears as an anatomical victor with a misplaced or seemingly strategically and rather hilariously placed scepter. Once you see it from the side, you can't unsee it. The humor lies in the idea that Victoria was a total prude, and the culture of the Victorian age was generally extremely prudish. Perhaps she would pass out at seeing herself in monumental form in a public square with what appears to be male genitalia, although I've seen evidence that she actually had a pretty good sense of humor. But considering that Liverpool is clearly anti-royalist, I'll leave it up to you to decide if the placement of the scepter was an accident. Now, Charles, I know your throne is barely warm, but keep an eye on how you want to be remembered. You might be able to sop something like this at the pass. So, Chuck, if I may, that's my advice to you based on those who occupied your job before you. I can only imagine what you were thinking about during the coronation. It did look like the weight of the world, symbolically. Or maybe it was that actual five-pound weight of a crown that was placed on your head. You didn't crack a smile, but I understand that it was a solemn occasion. With great power or not comes great responsibility. I'm sure you know that the crown on your head was made for the coronation of Charles II to replace the crown that Parliament destroyed after they lopped the head off of Charles I. Now, Charles III, history will judge you too. In 2015, members of the American Historical Association voted that Henry VIII was the worst monarch in history. They called him a petulant man-child. Now, Charles, syphilis has not rotted your brain, although according to some historians trying to explain Henry's behavior, they've suggested this, but there's really no evidence for it. No matter what, Charles, you still have the edge. At least this historian is withholding judgment, at least for the moment. Historians play fair. We won't judge you until it's all said and done. So we'll see what happens with this Charles in charge. 
I've got my official tea towel out, but you haven't given this historian any reason to wipe the counter with you yet. So see you next time. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Catch everyone later. (laughs) 